It's that time of the week again. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop! It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris as they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. As well as the music of today. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Digital Kill the Radio Star starts right now. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. As always, I am your host, David, and I have my buddy Chris on the other line. Chris, how are you doing? Doing well, Dave. How are you? I'm well, ready for, uh, I feel like we say this every week, ready for this quarantine to be over with. I'm tired of being stuck at the house. Yeah, I'm ready for the apocalypse to be over, that's for sure. All right, so uh, we got a really cool guest this week. I reached out to uh, a mutual friend um, and uh, got this set up rather quickly. Uh, it's a real pleasure for me to welcome from uh, the basis, from the Drive-By Truckers, Matt Patton. Matt, how's it going? Good, good. Good to be speaking with y'all today. Well, uh, got to ask you. Got to ask you first. How are you surviving the quarantine? Uh, we're all right. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's me and my wife and daughter, and um, we actually have uh, a friend with us through the foster care system as well. Um, another girl um, and our dog Leon, and um, we're making the best of it. We made s'mores in the yard last night. We've been doing a Kroger click list like everybody else and just trying to uh keep the contact of other people uh down to a minimum and and be just as safe as we can it's about all we can do that's right all right so matt um before we kind of get into like your your musical career that you that's been pretty long tell us a little bit though about your studio dialback sound yeah, uh, you know, I started doing sessions over uh, at Dialback Sound uh, in Water Valley when I was in, still dating my wife, Megan. Um, I was driving over here from Alabama, long distance. And, uh, you know, Bruce Watson that owned, owned the studio originally was an old friend of mine. And, um, you know, he, he kept telling me when I moved over here, he'd have me do sessions and, uh, um, so every now and then, you know, in the process of moving here, when I first moved here, I would just come over and knock out, you know, some base work for him, whatever he had going on over there. And um, that became a thing. A few years later, you know, he said, you really ought to bring your own projects in here. You know, try to record your bands, try to do a little production. Um, and that just became, you know, a regular thing for me. Uh, and then a few years down the road, you know, Bruce said he was going to move to Memphis and sell that building um maybe to a, a developer and he told me it might become a duplex or or something for rent and i couldn't bear the thought of it really you know um 
you know, I thought about uh, growing up and watching my favorite bar shut down, watching my favorite record store shut down, and not really having my life together enough to really do anything about that. But, uh, you know, I thought, well, I, I can do something about this. So, you know, we worked out a Bronson, the engineer, and I worked out a plan to take it over from Bruce when he moved. And um, we've been going strong over there for a little over three years now. Um, you know, making records with um, Steratones, uh, Jimbo Mathis, um, Jerry Joseph, um, Betty Smith, the soul singer out of New York, um, a local guy, um, Will Griffith, um, has a project called The Great Dying we've been working with. Um, you know, there's always something fun going on over there with, with well, do you we do you it. also have a label? Is is that right? Yeah, there's a fledgling label, you know, and, and kind of my thing is, is is you know if I think it's really cool, um, and I'm you know if I think it's something that's really cool that it deserves some exposure, the first thing I really try to do is play it for my friends' labels um, that have good labels. Um, if I can't really find it at home and I still think it really needs a chance, you know, I do my best to try to put it out myself. You know, just kind of get get a track record, you know, for that project in hopes that, you know, it, it kind of, if especially if they're touring, you know, it takes our brand and our name out there on the road, um, you know, and, 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 and raises awareness about our studio um, and, uh, you know, kind of establishes a track record, gives them a release that's on a label that's out there. Um, and hopefully the, the record label grows um, and hopefully you know, they get, they move on to bigger and better and we grow together. You know, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. It's also called Dialback Sound. Okay. Nice. Well, um, so Matt, what, what was your, when you think back your first, um, recollection of music, the first music, when you knew it really just kind of punched you in the gut that we all get. And second part of that, what was the first band or singer, songwriter, whoever that really had an impact on your life? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like uh, music was so omnipresent. It was everywhere. Um, you know, my, my church growing up was, was you know, old-fashioned gospel music with a band and a, just a world-class, unbelievable piano player. And, you know, my dad was such a, a record uh, nerd and enthusiast, you know, so it was around. Um, all of my er earliest memories are, you know, have, have music. Um somewhere there in the background. The first time it really ever really just punched me in the gut, I remember I'd gone to a, a, a theater with my dad and maybe a couple other people. I don't know who all was there. I know my dad was there. And we'd gone to the movie theater to see, I think it was with Family Robinson. Um, I couldn't have been but more than five or six years old, and the screen was that that silver color that it used to be and, and nothing was showing yet. Mm -hmm. uh, but this music was playing with this woman singing and it was just so haunting and, and lovely and, and several songs that I thought were probably by the same person were, were being played. And then years later I realized it was a uh, guest Gilberto record with Astrid Gilberto singing, you know, so it was like all that girl from Empanema and quiet nights and all that stuff. And it just seemed so uh, comforting and motherly and 
<laughs> you know, nurturing at the time, yeah. you know, uh, but it just, it, it got to me, you know? So um, well, how, how, how old were you though, when you started playing music? Um, I was 14 or 15 when, uh, you know, my neighborhood friends started getting guitars and stuff like that. And, uh, I decided that I really wanted one myself you know a few years earlier i'd asked for a drum set and you know my folks uh i'd, I'd also quit piano lessons you know um so it was just like they didn't really want to make another time investment or space investment in the house that it was going to cost them <laughs> after i'd given up on something you know so by the time i was 14 or 15 i was out you know mowing grass, saving my own money, you know, and stuff like that. So, um, I kind of raked up, raked enough leaves and mud enough yards. I bought a guitar around that time. And, no, you know, a few months later, started playing bass in church, playing gospel music. Excellent. Yeah. I find that's a, that's a lot of people's background. Seems like playing, you know, growing up in the church, especially in the South. Um, now, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, as this is near and dear to my heart, um, punk is a big thing for you. Big, you know, played a big role in your life as an influential music. Um, what were some of the, I guess, the earliest punk bands and uh, that inspired? Were there punk bands that inspired your playing and that love of punk? What are some of your favorite bands? Um. Well, you know, uh, coming from that ba- gospel background, you know, I like the uh, the American bands like uh, MC5 because they just just have that so that 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 you know soul blues gospel sort of background backbone to it. Um, anything like that, uh, anything that has that sort of Chuck Berry influence. Um, I guess the first thing that really uh, that that really influenced my my, my playing, my uh, my songwriting um, would really have to be most like the Clash, um, you know. Back when I played guitar in front of bands, uh, I really liked uh, Andy Gill's playing with the Gang of Four. Um, Great player. Yeah, just that sharp, sort of angular, uh, uh, physical, you know, sound that he had um, was a huge influence. Um, but yeah, you know, it's like if it can also manage to have a little, you could tell that uh, that the Clash had a world, you know, uh, a world, uh, a worldview and uh, a musical IQ that really encomp- accomplished, you know, and, and encompassed a lot. Uh, yeah. That was really uh, appealing to me, you know, that they had, they were, they were never, uh, they were such a huge band, but they were never really concerned about the flavor of the moment. You know, they were traveling, they were taken from everything around them and they really gave me a sense of, of, uh, of their world, you know, and their experiences. Um, so they were such a huge, huge band for me. Well, Matt, I mean, I know most people uh, like me kind of first heard about you with being in the Dexatines. How, how did that come about? Yeah, uh, you know, I was friends with all those guys, you know, for a, a couple of years in college. 
um, at you know the University of Alabama. Um, we we each had our own different bands and kind of found our, ourselves either taking breaks from our bands or our bands were breaking up or it just kind of the timing worked out with uh, with me and Sweet Dog and Elliot that we didn't have a whole lot going on musically at one at one point and um, we started out to you know we and we were hanging out a lot at the record store uh, Vinyl Solution where you you'd meet everybody and um, talking about records and hanging out on the weekends and we, we decided to, you know, we wanted to start like a sort of a Ramones type, you know, black flag sort of a punk project. <laughs> um, and the Dexatines is just sort of how we interpreted that with all of our influences, you know, um, Elliot was massively into like the queers and, and, and Ramones and stuff like that. Um, you know, I was a little more into like the hardcore black flag um, thing at the time. Um, and Sweet Dog just wanted to play something. He wanted to hit the drums as hard and fast as he could, you know. <laughs> well, hey, man, I mean, if you, if that, that aggression and all that you like, though, and him, him wanting the fast couple minute songs, I mean, Play like Agnostic Front, man. And you cover all areas. Just play like them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it just became this. Uh, the rehearsal started with just the three of us. And then um, one of our friend's older brothers came back into town, John Smith. Um, and he had been in, he had been in like a bunch of sort of Americana type bands. Um uh, American Cosmic sort of being one of those. So he brought this sort of twangy thing in. Um, you know, his, his influences were like Big Star and stuff like that. So he was uh, more of a sophisticated, accomplished player than we were. Um, sort of immediately gave us more of a vocabulary and able to do different, you know, more things, open up and do different things. Um, I started bringing out more of the walking gospel style in my playing at that point. So by the time we actually started playing shows um it kind of had evolved a little bit from what the original idea was but the original idea was still there you know you sort of had this like uh ramones black flag big starish acdc ish kind of mess <laughs> well and you pretty much answered the next question i was going to that's kind of what i was thinking is what if for somebody listening to this never heard of it never heard the band how would you describe the sound and you just answered the question. So that David, I think this one's on to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt, if I have my timeline correct here and I, I think I'm in the right neighborhood, you came on board with the truckers right about the time uh made up English Oceans uh made up English Oceans came out, correct? Yeah, uh that's that's when I went full time with the band. Yeah, I had kind of uh, done some fill in tours before that and um yeah, right, right as we were going into studio to make that record, I started with the band full time. Um, and, you know, it's like it, it, it's, you know, it's uh, it was a dream come true, you know. Um, and it's sort of one of those things. I remember um, just never really being nervous on stage before or. You know, stage always felt like home. A band always felt like home. When it became my job, um, 
honestly, it really messed with me for a while, you know? <laughs> um, I didn't really intend for that to happen, you know, but it did. It, it, uh, it was a, a strange thing to, to finally at, uh, at 35, you know, just kind of out of nowhere have that thing that you've always wanted you know that was such a strange uh, brand new feeling that i didn't anticipate what was it the relationship that kind of the dexatines and the truckers had had you is that kind of what ushered you in that door because i mean y'all yeah, kind of on the same circuit there for a while yeah we you know we did a number of tours with them patterson hood produced uh a record by the dexatines called hardwire healing um, you know, so we, we were close friends, you know, there for a number of years before that. Um, you know, the, the next teams weren't really doing much at all. Um, you know, I, I was, I hadn't been playing much outside of the studio here in town, which I didn't yet own. Uh, you know, I had the occasional gig over there. Um, I had some, uh, there were some, uh, law students at the university that hired me every now and then to do cover gigs. Other than that, I didn't have anything really going on. It was the deadest period, really, in my musical life or career that that I had going on at that time. When that happened, um, so it really couldn't have come at a better time. <laughs> you know? Well, now when you joined, when you joined the Truckers, you know they're known for y'all are known just uh, not playing the same set list bunch of different songs you know I've, I've always thought how difficult that must be even for somebody like the east street band but those guys have been playing with bruce for years and years and years and even that just it blows my mind that you can they on a whim play a song they may not have played in two three years when you come into a band like this you haven't had all those years with them how daunting yeah. was that to have all those songs and so i guess i would say is how daunting was it and at the same time do you find yourself a lot of times in more almost in an improvisational playing style? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it can be different from night to night and encourage some, some improv, you know, and it's like, I think it, it takes the right kind of player, um, you know, because there wasn't going to be any rehearsal. There was, you know, it's like the rehearsal that I got was mainly on my own. Um, you know, they had some gigs coming up in about a month, and so they sent me a list that had, you know, 70 or 80 songs on it and just said, you know, be listening and playing through these. Um, these are, you know, making up a lot of the calls that we make every night, and there is no set list. Um, you know, it's like a few minutes before we go on, they pick out the opening song, and so we walk on stage pretty much knowing the first thing that we're going to play, and everything else is kind of up in the air, you know. Um but, you know, it's like you just have that attitude. From day one, I had that attitude, I'm going to do this, um, you know. So I didn't, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't really the list of songs and, the, and that, that sort of challenge that was intimidating to me, you know. It was just doing music for a job that was intimidating. And I, I didn't expect that, you know. But, uh um, so Y'all don't even so y'all uh, that that blows my mind because I know that bands often even somebody like I mentioned the, the E Street band I know Bruce will write out it may be right before they go on stage but he'll write it out but y'all don't even have that then you're like a football team going out with the first few plays called <laughs> yeah yeah there's there's nothing really you know it's like a as developed as it gets when we're promoting an album like we were just before the quarantine anytime we're doing something like that we may 
yeah, we, you know, we're, we're, we know that we're going to go out and play a lot of that record, you know, so you know that. Um, but yeah, you know, those first couple of years, they would, they weren't really thinking about what was on the, a list of original songs, you know, so they would pull out something I've never played. There'd be 1,500 people sitting there. <laughs> but, you know, but it's like a back going back to, to church, though. Um, there was never really any rehearsal for any of that, you know. It was just, we're going to play this. And the piano player might have told me what key it was in, then we just played it, you know. So it's just, if I'm familiar with it, I'm going to fake it till I make it, you know. Um, and I've had a number of experiences in the last 25 years that, you know, prepare me for that, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to get through it, you know, um, and if I, you know, if I don't really know it, I'm going to make it, uh, I'm going to make it all right, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, have one, I have one job, you know. Um, well, you know, you, you were talking about the set list and kind of learn on the fly. It's like I've always heard that if you can play for Bob Dylan, you can play for anybody because he'll just turn around, shout out a song and a completely different arrangement than what you're used to playing. And you just have to be able to adjust on the fly. Yeah. You just got to keep an open mind, you know, and just listen, listen and watch, you know? (laughs) Well, um, you know, you came along, um, in the band at a time that, that there'd been a significant amount of turnover, losing two members and, and you came along and now you talked about it being stressful from just when you started playing was, was there any added stress to you? The fact knowing that they just had that significant turnover in the band and, you know, and I'm going to be, I'm kind of going to be judged for, for better or worse as being the new guy. Yeah. You know, um, you know, it's like, uh, there was definitely a little bit of that. Some nights I'd walk out and I could tell that somebody right up front didn't know that there'd been a member change, you know? <laughs> so, for the first three or four songs, that person is looking at me like, what is this guy doing here? You know? <laughs> yeah, there was some of that, you know, uh, you know, because you got to replace another great player, you know. Um, sure. Totally there was some of that. Well, now the, the drive-by truckers, too, they, they're known for having one of the more loyal fan bases. I mean, you guys are really lucky with that, and I don't have to tell you that. And by all accounts, it seems like you've come in and with great support and fans love you. What's it like that? I mean, what's that relationship with the fans? And what what does that? I mean, what do they? What what can you say? How they what they mean to the band? Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, that's that's a whole other thing that I never never really thought about. Uh, I don't know if it's that way with everybody's you know fan base, but I sure hope it is. You know, um, it's it's sort of a partnership. You know, um, and and I kid you not, there are there are certain people that have been making Lord probably 50 or 60 shows or more a year. I mean, since before I was in the band, um, that you just see night after night, you know, they're, they're always sort of there to, uh, make sure that you're good and accommodated in town. They bring, um, comfort items, uh, you know, food and stuff like that out. They know we like, um, and that's just for beginners, really. You know, we're, we're kind of partners in um, different charities with a lot of our biggest fans. Um, the uh, the head of our uh, fan club is also the band's doctor, you know. 
So wow. if you're if you're sick and you need to check up on the road or a quick script, <clears throat> it's good to go for that. <laughs> you know, um, even if he has to make a special trip, and he does make a lot of a lot of shows. Oh, that's really cool. Um, that's really so cool. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think. You know, um, about any of the other more significant uh, ties. But uh, yeah, you know, obviously we're all together in the Nucci Space Charity. That's uh, an Athens charity that provides uh, uh, rehearsal space and uh, mental health treatment and um, health care for uh, local Athens musicians. And its main goal was, uh, like, you know, musician suicide prevention. Yeah, I'm uh, so. I'm actually good friends with Dave Chamberlain, who works over there. And uh, I have another podcast. And for Christmas, we raised money through that podcast and, and gave it all to Nucci Space. Um just a, a really good, a really good charity. Well, Matt, we're, we're kind of getting kind of close to the end, but we do have a, a few more for you. Um, American Band, that was one of my favorite albums of the last decade. And, and I think in a lot of ways, it may be the best Drive-By Truckers album ever, which is saying a lot because they, they have some just some great albums in the discography. But one of the things that really drew me to that album was the production on it. It sounds so good. And to me, one of the MVPs of that album is the playing that Jay Gonzalez did on it. He added so mm-hmm. many, so many textures um, to that uh, to that album. Talk to me just a little bit about that album and and, and your thoughts on it because it sounds so good and it's the the songs on it are so poignant. Like uh, um, the song uh, "Baggage" um, and you know uh, the song that Patterson wrote. Uh, I'm drawing a blank uh, about the, about it not raining. About is basically his love letter to. Portland and his family, or whatever, just such good songwriting. Talk good to me, yes, yeah. Talk to me about uh, about that album, just real quick, because I know you you had to be really proud of it. Super proud of that. Yeah, uh, you know, we did that over at Sound Emporium uh, in Nashville, um, which was you know this sort of Taj Mahal of sound, a level of studio that the band hadn't really worked in before. You know, it's a classic Nashville studio that a lot of big stars worked in. Um, it, it was everything from, you know, uh, um, like Jerry Reed to uh, Taylor Swift, you know, uh, uh, had worked there. Um, you know, and a lot of our heroes worked there, like, um, you know, Bob Dylan had worked there. R.E.M. had worked there. Um, you know, so, and that was also the beginning of our partnership with uh, with Matt Ross Fang at doing the engineering. Um, so he was there engineering, uh, of course, David Barbie, our longtime producer was there producing. Um, but yeah, you know, Jay's playing. I remember, um, I remember the two of us after we recorded the English ocean sort of had a, uh, a conversation and we were wondering, you know, that record had a lot of space and, you know, having space is sort of a, a DBT, uh, trademark, but it was, it almost felt like a, a little too much in spaces, you know, and we, we were like, you know, maybe on the next thing you and I will step it up a little bit, you know, add some, uh, some hooks and fills. And I, I remember that, uh, that he really, Jay really worked long and hard on what, you know, his fills and contributions would be so that, uh, wherever there was a spot for a little, uh, earworm, you know, he was going to be there to do that, you know? Um, and, um, you know, me to a lesser extent, you know, I, I don't prepare quite as much. Um, 
but uh, I felt like I, I stepped it up a little more with that record, you know. Um, but yeah, I think what you're hearing with the good sound is just that it's that world class studio and um, you know Matt Ross Bang. Um, it's kind of killing the game right now, you know, with the Lord Isbel um, and uh, Margot Price. He's doing her records. Um, there's just about hardly anybody he's not doing right now, you know? Right. <laughs> well, so, Matt, the, the new album, The Unraveling, came out. You guys did get to hit the road for that a bit, and now we're stuck with this quarantine. And okay. hopefully we'll be coming out of that soon. But, man, I, I, I hate even saying this because I'm – we're both such big music fans. Uh, yeah, David and I, we, I travel to shows. Uh, I, um, it's important to me. It's really important sure. to me. And I don't know how, we just don't know how soon that's coming back. I mean, what, what's the thoughts within the band? I mean, what's the itch like to just get back out there and not just not knowing when that time is coming? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, we were at a show when it happened to us, you know, when our tour got canceled and um, we were in Indianapolis, um, we were two songs into Soundcheck when they came in and canceled the show, and everything else for the tour got canceled while we were sitting there that night. Um, you know, we had packed our things and left home the day before. Um, and it was sort of an indescribable feeling, you know. And we were ready to go. We were locked and loaded. <laughs> I bet. You know. Um, so, so the itch and the need is there. I'm, I'm, I'm purpose driven with my music you know um just as much as, as i am with my my family or anything you know so a part of me is definitely missing right now um you know i talked to our manager last week and you know he was saying that uh there's some things really late summer early fall that are still booked that but that he didn't really know how to feel or or, or hope for that you know, not canceled yet is, is sort of what he was saying, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of uh, makes you want to vomit. <laughs> makes you want to cry, you know. Yeah, I mean, us guys, we want to go. Dave and I want to go watch shows. But the, the thing is, I mean, not only do you guys love it, but it's it's not your only. I know it's not all of your livelihood because you talked about at the beginning, you taught some of your projects, but – yeah, this is just my time where I, I say this on every podcast. I'm I'm gonna make my uh, a PSA again. Anybody listening to this, anybody is a fan of the truckers, buy a physical product, buy a T-shirt, go to the website. Right, well, appreciate that. Yeah, we we, we both are big. Uh, matter of fact, a lot of our Twitter posts, we it's hashtag buy music, and we always uh, are big proponents of buying at any time, but especially now. But I got one last question for you, Matt. Am, am I correct in hearing that you guys have, y'all either have already recorded the next record or were in the process or did I hear that wrong? Well, we went, uh, we went to Phillips, uh, uh, recording service in Memphis where that's Matt Ross Spang's home studio where he works. Uh, and you know, we'd always kind of wanted to go there. We just kind of got inspired and, uh, it's not so much that the next record's already done. It's just that we recorded so much material. I think we did like 17 or 18 songs, you know, so there's, there's still another 10 or so songs that we haven't 
exactly decided what to do with yet. Now that's y'all. Is that when y'all had the picture with Mick Jagger? Is that right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's the craziest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, Jagger had to have known who Patterson Hood's dad was, right? Or sure, sure. I'm sure if you got to talking to him, he would have. You know, it wasn't really like that. We didn't really get to chit chat with him very much. You know. Um. Some people got to talk to him for a few minutes. Um, I noticed that uh, one of the other engineers that's a friend of mine, Jeff Powell, um, stood over in his uh, music cutting room and talked to, talked to Mick Jagger for what seemed like an eternity. You know, <laughs> we were just kind of looking over there. We were kind of looking over there at Jeff, holding the fort down in conversation with him. And uh, so they it, they did get to talk a lot, uh, but you know it was really. We were just in the same building with him, and we could catch glimpses of him taking the tour and going around, and and uh, you know just kind of sat there freaking out the whole time. <laughs> I uh, bet. Yeah. I bet. And we got we got the picture with him at the end, you know, but uh, we didn't really get to talk to him. Hey man, a picture would make I me mean, happy. I, I would. I wouldn't have talked to him anyway, you know. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, I, I would. I wouldn't know what to say. It's like, yeah. I can't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, remember, remember that time? Yeah. It'd be like, remember that time when, when you guys made goat head soup? Do you remember that? That was awesome. Right. It would turn into, it would totally turn into the Chris Farley show. It just didn't seem, it just didn't seem real. You know, it it seemed like that one, it seemed like the kind of thing, like when you're having a great dream, if you, if you try to do something or do too much, it's, you're going to wake up and it's going to be over, you know? So we just kind of let that thing play out. And um, at the end of it, we've got a picture, you know. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> hey, that, that would be good enough for me, man. Framed and up on the wall. Right. So, hey, man, as, as we wrap this up, uh, Matt, is there a, first of all, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. And is there anything else you would like to promote? Uh, well, um, the only thing that really comes to mind is that our friend Tyler Keith, from here in Oxford, had a record uh, that came out yesterday called The Last Drag. And you can find it on Tyler Keith's uh, Bandcamp page for The Last Drag. Um, it's was recorded, uh, mixed, mastered, and, and, and recorded at, uh, at Dialback Sound. Excellent. So I'd love to be able to go check out Tyler Keith's The Last Drag. All right, well, give me a song to play on it, and that's, that'll be the song we close with. Um. Uh, yeah, just play the title track, The Last okay. Drag. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, Matt, I uh, really appreciate this, and I appreciate my friend Anthony that, that set this up. Uh, I'm a huge Truckers fan. Um, really enjoy your playing. You've brought a whole new level of excitement uh, with the band since you've been there. Uh, you're always the one with the smiling face during the whole show. Uh, you just you kind of like Peter Buck. I heard Peter Buck say one time, when he's on stage, I'm the only one on stage. I'm having a party, and I don't care if anybody else is there or not. You're always happy and smiling and, and into it. What you know, regardless if if maybe it's a song the other the rest of the band's not that into. You're always smiling and into it, and it's just it's a joy to watch you play. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. That's my that's my goal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we uh, we appreciate Matt for taking some time out and to play us out uh, from Tyler Keith, the last drag. Everybody have a good week.